Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We're back live with more Anthony Herron on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Final hour that I'm with you for the evening here. Coming at you on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Anthony Heron on Twitter and Instagram at Big Ant Heron. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios. Brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. It's a fun initial hour on the show. Talked a lot of baseball. Let's transition and get into the sports media landscape as a whole. And it, it will have a a basketball vibe to it and a football vibe to it as well. But the conversation won't necessarily only affect those two sports entities. To do that, let's go out to the guest hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Richard Deitch joins me now on the score. You can find him on Twitter at Richard Deitch. He is of the Athletic and of the Sports Media Podcast. Richard, how are you this evening? So it's always uh, great to be on in one of the great cities uh, in the United States. Good to be with you, Anthony. Yeah, no doubt about that, man. And I am a I'm an Iowa Hawkeye, and so for me, even though the men's team went out very quickly in the NCAA tournament, there are so many eye popping numbers that are coming from the women's coverage of the NCAA tournament. I mean, one that even just came out earlier this evening is that the the most recent game between Iowa and Louisville on ESPN at nearly two and a half million viewers on average had more viewers than any NBA game that ESPN has aired so far this season. That that feels like a pretty astounding number to me. I, I would love to start there, just with the, the NCAA tournament coverage where the men's numbers are down a bit and the women's numbers seem to be way up. What do you attribute it to? Yeah, no, you laid it out well. Uh, and quite frankly, ESPN executives should send a uh... – Maybe a wheelbarrow of money to Caitlin Clark and company because that is <laughs> a really say good care story. Package, but yeah, care package probably wouldn't yeah. do it justice. Screw, screw care package, man. We're talking about cash. <laughs> it's the only thing that matters in 2023. Um, but the the women's tournament has a lot going for it. To start with, um, the growth of the game um, has been significant over the last five to ten years. The entire tournament now gets its own window, which makes a big deal. ESPN uh, and Disney, to their credit, have put a lot of games now during the tournament on ABC, where once upon a time that would have been relegated to ESPN2 or even ESPN News and some real, you know, sort of low-traffic channels. And so the tournament just has a bigger presence. Then you combine it with, in that tournament, there are a lot of blue bloods 
that were playing. You know, you had UConn until they lost. South Carolina is a juggernaut with great players. Obviously, Iowa has been a great team this year with, you know, far and away the most popular player right now in the sport in Caitlin Clark. LSU has a famous Hall of Fame coach in Kim Mulkey. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of interesting teams in that tournament and they're playing against each other. So I, I attributed to one, just the, the programming arm of it has gotten much better. Uh, ESPN now places this on much better windows. Uh, and when I say windows, I mean just better places for people to watch it on TV. They give it over the air network television. So when it's on ABC, it's going to get more attention. And then just the players themselves. They're just more athletic, as you know. Um, it's a better game. And then when you get somebody like Transcendent, like Caitlin Clark, Caitlin Clark, who goes off, you know, that's when you get start seeing like you know 2.5 million viewers for the Sweet 16. I would expect that South Carolina Iowa game to break the record for the most watched Final Four game, which is three million. Um, I don't know if the final will beat the all-time record, which is UConn South Carolina. It's hard to it's hard to top that record if UConn's not in it. But this women's tournament will will do well. And then conversely, as you said, um, if you talk to television executives they'll always tell you that they want upsets early in the tournament. That's what gets people excited. You know, you want to see um, some 15 seed beat a two. You want to see like that kind of excitement, but in order to get viewership, you have to have some big, big teams, name brands when it comes to the elite eight final four and final two, this tournament more than any other has blown that up. So the elite eight round was down significantly 14%, I think. And honestly, I would expect the final four, maybe to be the least watched Final Four ever. And I would be stunned if that, um, you know, that San Diego State-Florida-Atlanta game, honestly, is, is not the least watched Final Four game of all time. I just, no offense to those teams, I just, I'm just working with reality here. That, that's pretty incredible. When you consider how compelling a lot of the on-court action has been, but, you know, the, the point you're making is, is one that feels pretty apparent related to the, the brands of the schools, and then also, Richard, as you know well, you don't necessarily have the brands of individual players that have kind of built over time right. with their one school, as used to be the case in the past. You know, Zach Eady isn't necessarily the most marketable brand, even though he's been excellent for Purdue for multiple seasons here. Wh- which one is, is more pivotal for the men's game? The fact that you don't have the, the biggest stars staying in school for several years anymore? Or is it really mainly about not having, as was last season, where more blue bloods, blue bloods were deeper in the tournament? It's both. Um, you actually bring up a really good point. And by the way, I think this tournament has been phenomenal. It's been great to watch. So I'm just being honest about the viewership. It has nothing to do with the storyline. The storyline's great. But the reality of this tournament is you have two factors going against it for viewership. One, you don't have any top 10, top five NBA draft guys who are playing in this tournament right now. Um, look at any mock draft, and, you know, they're either a combination of playing for, like, um, you know, the overtime elite to the world, or their teams are knocked out, or obviously we have, you know, what we think is the great prodigy in France right now. So you don't, you don't even have, like, casual fans who might be interested in, like, checking out the Final Four because they're going to see – these guys in the lottery in a couple of months. So that's part one. And then the second part is the reality is like you four championships in most sports, the Super Bowl is probably immune to this. Maybe college football is a little immune, but I'm not even sure about that. History tells you when it comes to looking at this data, that the big schools with big alumni bases are who you want in these events in order to get viewership. 
And, you know, we have three teams that have never been in the final four before. So they're very new to the final four. They don't have the kind of basketball tradition that Kansas or Duke or North Carolina, Kentucky, et cetera, do. And while UConn has been a very, very good basketball school, you know, since like the, the 90s, they're not coming in with anybody who's, you know, a top 10, top 15 pick. So if I'm CBS, what I'm really, really hoping for is I'm just hoping for incredibly competitive, thrilling games. And then maybe you get some casuals to watch the championship game. But, you know, if somebody was paying me for my analysis and asked me, like, do you expect good viewership numbers historically for the semifinals and the finals? I would say no. I just I don't see it happening. I hope to be wrong, but I, I don't see it. Sports media expert Richard Deitch, my guest here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. He joins me on the Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline. You can find him on Twitter at Richard Deitch and read all his writings at The Athletic, also the host of the sports media podcast. The, the fact that the right now tickets for the women's Final Four are significant, are going for significantly higher than tickets to the men's Final yeah, Four really speaks to the point you're making here. And as, as this moves forward, we continue to see the transfer portal and we continue to see, you know, on, on the men's side, of course, you know, a lot of one-and-done players and the like. Do you see this as a trend that, that continues or is this a, a blip this particular season where the men's ratings are, are much lower than normal? I would say it's a blip because, I, you know, I would expect some of the, the big teams to come back. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm very much a pro player person, particularly when it comes to college. Like when I see um, either commentators or others sort of whining about uh, the transfer reporter or NIL, like it's to me like the height of hypocrisy. Like how many coaches have left their programs over the last 50 years after telling recruits, you know, whispering in their ear, I'm going to be here for you for the last four years. So I'm glad that players have this kind of empowerment. I quite frankly don't care uh, how much it, it, it blows up programs or bothers coaches. You know, that's a you problem. Figure that out. Like let these players have the right to transfer, just like I have the right to transfer as a, a student. But in terms of the viewership, the tournament's amazing. And it's just such a, like, a fun thing to be part of. It incorporates gambling. It, it gets people like, who have no interest in college basketball. My sister couldn't tell you, you know, like the difference between like, uh, you know, Michael Jordan and Michael Jackson, quite frankly. But she has a bracket. <laughs> like, so like, you know, she's like, taking part of this. Like, she's, she's interested in this. So I think in terms of viewership, honestly, as long as the – the top traditional programs are back, which I would expect them to. Like, I can't expect North Carolina not to make the tournament next year. You know, teams like Kansas and Kentucky always reload. So, yeah, I, I would say once we're done with this tournament, I think it'll be a blip. And then I think for next year's tournament, you'll see increases. Um, and, and I don't think this is indicative of anything about, like, the health of the tournament or anything like that. I just think it's just one of the weirdest years ever where, like, all these top seeds just ended up falling. I mean, you know, we're not, the reality is we're probably not going to see a 16 seed be the number one next year just because, like, you know, it happens, feels like, you know, uh, you know one, once every, you know, couple of uh, decades, even though obviously we've had, you know, two now in the last uh, however many years. And my intention on, on the women's side of it, or my, my impression on the women's side of it is that, I think some of this, you make a great point about the enhanced platforms that, that, that they've been able to get their product on in some of these TV deals. And then, 
you know, new Bears president and I guess still current and somewhat former Big Ten commissioner Kevin Warren, the new media rights deal he negotiated. You're going to see the women's games on CBS as well for the first time yep. ever. And so that's a great move for the Big Ten as a conference for the women's press there that's been so exceptional. And also, I think it's been a little bit intentional. And then also a lot of what we've seen playing out with the, the increased just ability, the depth of these various programs here. What I'm curious, do you know much about the, the media rights negotiations that are expected to be going on here for the women's NCAA tournament? Because all these eye-popping ratings numbers that they're putting up on ESPN, there's going to do, be new media rights that are available for them to negotiate here. And I'm wondering if you ever see a time where perhaps the women's tournament is is moved. I've had a couple of friends in the industry mention this to me where they're, they're wondering if maybe the women's tournament were a month ago, you know, like a February madness situation as opposed to a March madness. Does that make it that much more marketable? Are, are you following the women's negotiations much? Yeah, a little bit. It's a great question. I actually, before I worked for the athletic, I covered women's basketball for sports illustrated. So like that, that conversation was something that like has been talked about and, you know, I know myself and my colleagues wrote about you know, for for what feels like forever. The NCAA has has used the women's basketball tournament as part of a larger package of events that they ultimately sold to ESPN. You know, women's basketball was part of lacrosse, was part of softball, was part of baseball. They they packaged all of those championships together and sold them as a package, as opposed to football, obviously, and basketball which have been sold on their own. What's clear now, if you talk to um, like rights negotiation experts, is that the women's tournament itself is probably worth 50, 80, $90 million. Like it's a legit property that if you just went to market with that, that's how much you would get. The problem for the NCAA is that they don't necessarily want to give that up as a solo entity because they think it could hurt the um, the bidding on the all the other championships that have been amplified because the women's basketball championship is still part of that negotiation. Right. To me, that's that's an NCAA issue, and they should figure that out. Like I think the women's tournament should go to the highest bidder, but it's either going to go two ways. One, that package is going to go up for bid. And it's going to go, I think, close for $100 million. My sense is ESPN will ultimately end up with it because I just think ESPN has such a big identity with women's basketball that I think it's a really important property for them. It brings in great women's demos, and I don't think they're going to lose it. So I think they'll bid to whatever they have to bid. That said, whether it's like an Amazon, whether it's maybe an Apple, I, I, I think there would be some other bidders who would absolutely take a look at that tournament because they know they're going to get a ton of eyeballs on that. Um, that's going to come up really, really soon. And I don't think anybody knows yet whether it's going to be sold separately or it's going to be sold as part of a larger package, which includes all the other non-football, non-men's college basketball championships. But the, to sort of put an end note on this, what, what it should tell people is that this is a valuable property. I mean, you know, if you were to ask, I don't think I'm, you know, again, I'm a bit of a women's basketball mark, so I admit, like, I like the sport a lot. I covered it for a long time. Yeah. But if you if you were to say, like, give me the the five most popular college basketball players in the United States, male or female, 
Would you not agree, Anthony, that Caitlin Clark would be like on that list? Like she would be one of your answers, I think, in 2023. And so what does that tell you just in terms of like marketability and notoriety? I mean, I'm talking about this tournament in particular. In other years, I'd probably, you know, maybe five men. Mm. Um, so this, you know, money talks when it comes to meteorites. And this is a really, really hot property. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And I, I, I think I, I have the impression you and I could talk NIL for a couple of hours if we really wanted to go down that road also because Caitlin Clark is such an example of how important yep. it is, for how, how vital it is for student-athletes to have that opportunity to maximize that where she is the biggest star in college basketball, percent. men's or women's right now. She moves the meter. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. We'd um, really get into it, Anthony. I mean, my, ESPN and some other networks aren't happy when I – Occasionally, we'll put on Twitter. You know, you guys are you guys are you guys are so generous about like supporting college athletes. You know, why not give the college athletes who play in your championship game, you know, five million dollars, right. put it in a bank account somewhere, and let them all collect it once they're uh, once they're graduated? Because if those guys ever decided to walk to the middle of the court and said, "We're not playing until you guys deposit a certain amount of money," like trust me, the game would change. So I'm I am a big NIL supporter. I think college athletes have been getting screwed for a long time. And finally, thankfully, some of the power has gotten back to the people who are the labor, the people who produce the content. Uh, and in one of my former lives as, a, as an arena football league executive, I, I had a situation where we had players who were going to stage a sit-in on one of our live NFL Network broadcasts if, if, their, if their rights, their demands weren't met for the players' union. And for me, like I played the game and I'm on the other side as an executive. I was in a very awkward position, Richard. But I, I do I hear I, you. I, I want to transition to talk a little bit of NFL with you as well because of some of this news that came out related to Thursday night football. There's, a, I don't know, I'll call it a threat that they were going to you know, maybe start flexing Thursday night games. I have no idea how they were going to have people managing that if you expected a full week off and then got flexed to a Thursday. But besides that, for the moment, I guess that's been tabled. But the NFL with the various nights that they have, these, these somewhat exclusive national windows, Sunday and Monday and Thursday, do you think it's, it's likely, it's plausible that they'll continue to try to sort of infiltrate other nights of the week? Yeah, yeah I mean, in short, yes. I mean, if the NFL could figure out a way to honestly just get players playing on um, nights where they can get exclusivity, they'll do it. I mean, I was really happy to see actually that decision be tabled because I don't think Thursday night is obviously good for the players. Um, it's terrible for the fans who have to ultimately change like their plans late. Um, when tickets come up, I'm sure Amazon's not happy because it would be obviously great for Amazon. The one thing about nights, though, is that I do think the NFL, it, it, you know, by by law, or whatever, uh, you know, they're not going to go to Fridays, obviously, because that's still yeah. high school football in the in the U.S. Saturday is the interesting night for that league, just in terms of like, would they? I don't think they really care about sort of stepping on college football's um, night. Uh, but th- the reality for the NFL is that Saturday night is the least watched um, night of the week on conventional television broadcast and cable. And so it's not like it's a slam dunk, even if it's the NFL. And so they would have to think about that. They obviously have Monday. Um you know, I think they would love to be on Tuesday or Wednesday. I, I think, and you would know this just sort of 
you know, as a former player, I, I guess I, I don't know scheduling wise in terms of like the health of the game, et cetera, if there's a way to pull that off. I don't know. Maybe, I, I mean, I'm just sort of spitballing, but like maybe you play a Tuesday night and then you get, you know, you're off for a week and then you're back onto your regular schedule. You know, if it's logistically possible, I think they would think about it. Um, But Saturday to me is the one that could, you know, we've already seen Saturday games. We've seen them late in the season. That's the one to keep your eye on because I think if they could, if they, if they could figure out a way to really get those games, some significant eyeballs, I think they'd think about it. I don't think they care about honestly stepping on college football, you know, 8 p.m. Eastern window at all. Oh, man, if the NFL went at it with the NCAA and some of these Power Five conferences, that would be quite the battle of the Titans. Spectacular (laughs) stuff, Richard. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks for your time tonight. You got it. Thank you. That is the great Richard Deitch. He's on Twitter, at Richard Deitch. You can read his writings at The Athletic and listen to him on the Sports Media Podcast. We've got to make sure we do that again sometime. Great get from Leo Stoddard. Let me take a time out and come back because we were talking NFL and there was some, some other news, some non, um, non-broadcast-related news that the NFL ended up making here related to digits. What do I mean? You may have heard it. You may not have. We'll talk about it. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. On the other side of this time out here, Anthony Heron on the score. We're back live with more Anthony Heron on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. I did reference the um, Rahimi Futek feud as their alma maters were facing each other on the basketball court. Just as an update there, and I, you know what? Breaking news on the score. 
is brought to you by DuckDuckGo. Protect your privacy online for free with DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo Privacy Simplified. So Wisconsin had a lead out of a a 40-minute NIT game. I'm pretty sure Wisconsin had a lead for like 59 minutes, and then somehow uh, North Texas came back and and won the game. So uh, whatever the bet was, and I'm I'm still, I've been texting with the, the two of them <laughs> throughout the show here. I'm still not completely clear what was bet, what the terms were. They're, they're each tweeting at, tweeting at each other about it. I don't know who's getting what. Maybe there's cheese involved here, which, I mean, you know, who doesn't love cheese? Um, but in some way, shape, or form, uh, Pete Futek has a bet to pay up to Layla Rahimi. I, I'm assuming Tomorrow is a, a Layla Wednesday, so there will likely be an update on that at, at some point during the Ber- Bernstein and Home show tomorrow. But North Texas did down Wisconsin, so the last remaining Big Ten basketball team in the mix here is the Iowa Hawkeyes. The Iowa Hawkeyes led by Coach Lisa Bluter and by the presumed, I'm going to call her the presumed National Player of the Year, Caitlin Clark. There's a lot of Iowa fans who are who are guarding and protecting their hearts. Actually, no, they're doing the opposite of that. They're going on the offensive on, on social media when, uh, when the National Player of the Year conversation comes up here in women's basketball because I was preparing to face the number one team in the country, the undefeated South Carolina Gamecocks, and last year's National Player of the Year, uh, Leah Boston, now, she doesn't have the stats Caitlin Clark has. No one does, male or female. But Aaliyah Boston is an exceptional basketball player. She's on the best team in America. And she won the award last year despite Caitlin Clark leading the sport in both points and assists in the same season. She didn't lead the nation in scoring this year. I think she was number two in the nation in scoring. Um, still led the nation in assists this year and has now led the Hawkeyes to the Final Four for the first time since 1993. So this will be quite the clash of the Titans. Just figured I'd color in a little bit of context, not only for the bet between Futek and Rahimi that I, I would imagine we'll, we'll get some, some sort of a defined answer on on the score tomorrow midday, but the discussion Richard Deitch was, was sort of painting a picture of related to TV ratings, marketability, the women's game and, and the ratings that are just skyrocketing through the roof and the sport itself is much deeper than it ever has been. But then also you have this, this seminal talent, this supernova that is Caitlin Clark and the viewership, the eyeballs that she's drawing. Man, I, I think she was on virtually every ESPN show today. She's on first take and sports center and a bunch of other spots. As I mentioned last night, I was trying to get her uh, even on the show tonight. I didn't know she was going to be, you know, I figured it was a busy week with her uh, you know, being the, the star of stars in the sport and Iowa going straight from Seattle to Dallas, didn't stop at home in between and making sure that they were going to uh, just get there, get comfortable and be in full-fledged Final Four mode. Figured I'd try to see if I could snag Caitlin Clark real quick for tonight. But, you know, they're doing a bunch of stuff and they have a game, maybe a couple of games, but Friday night they have a game at least to play against the number one undefeated reigning defending national champion in the South Carolina Gamecocks. But I will be closely rooting for my Hawkeyes while I am finishing my my packing duties for our trip that we're going to take to Hawaii uh, that we're going to leave for this weekend. We'll be gone for a couple of weeks. But 
A little bit of other NFL news that came out that I was referencing a little bit earlier. National Football League decided, and I, I don't know exactly what went into not allowing players to wear jersey number zero before now, but it was a hardline stance that the NFL had taken before today that no players were allowed to wear zero. Now they've decided that this coming season that rule will no longer be in place. Players will no longer be forbidden from wearing jersey number zero. Me personally, I've never worn the jersey number zero. Didn't wear it in high school, didn't wear it in college, wasn't allowed to wear it in the NFL. But you see a lot of other leagues capitalizing on it. You see players wearing jersey number zero in the NBA all the time, all kind of weird numbers here and there in the NBA. And the sport of football in general has begun to to sort of become more lax in the the requirements for certain positions to wear particular jersey numbers and you know they still have guys declaring as eligible based off of their jersey number based off of the the position that they're lining up in sometimes you're ruled ineligible and the the official will make that announcement prior to the snap but jersey number zero before today wasn't allowed in the nfl now it is and you already see players calvin ridley immediately came out and said that he was going to be wearing jersey number zero Darnell Mooney already out there kind of politicking on Twitter, saying maybe he wants to wear jersey number zero. So we will see history in the NFL this year, at least from that perspective. Now, I don't know, and Leo Stoddard, I'd be curious for for your thoughts on this, whether or not, because I, I always wore double numbers. I wore number 55 in high school football. I wore number 99 in college football. And I wore number 77 in the NFL, double numbers just always appeal to me. Something about it always looked cool. So whether you're wearing zero or double zero in the NFL, you're going to be unique. You're going to stand out. But Leo, I'm, I'm curious for you. What, what do you think will look better? What do you think makes more sense? Just the one solid, you know, kind of monet, what, not monetary, but the, the singular zero on the jersey or do you think the double zero where you got both of them just blazing across your chest, does, does that look better? Which way would you go with it? If you had the opportunity to wear essentially nothing, to, to wear a zero or zeros as your number, what would you go with? Would you go with the single zero or the double zero? Well, I think it depends what position we're talking about. For a skill position player, I think wearing just the single digit makes you kind of look faster. So I could go with the single zero for that but if you know I was a linebacker or something I think the double number does kind of maybe add a little bit extra makes you look a little tougher so I I think it varies by position I like that that's actually that's a that's an even better answer than I anticipated I I like that you it's almost like you put some thought into that I didn't even tell you I was going to tee you up for that but that's actually that's a good delineation between the two options there that I hadn't even considered in, in that regard. But, yeah, I mean, when you're talking to a big guy, like obviously there's been receivers who've worn 88 or running backs who wear 33 or whatever. But you know, if you're talking about a bigger guy and a double number, I suppose that probably feels a bit more more suitable. What number have you worn in the past? Did you, any sport you, you might have played back in the day, did you have a favorite jersey number that you ever had? So I always wore number 17 from, my, from uh, grade school hockey through high school hockey. I wore huh. that from the time I was 10 to 18. So that was always – my favorite number growing up and uh, why why 17 
I, it was just uh, one of my first numbers I ever got uh, when I was a real young kid. Kind of liked it and stuck with it. Thought it looked good on a jersey and uh, rolled with it. <laughs> 17. Yeah, because I was trying to think for a second, like if there was a quarterback who wore 17 or you know, a hockey sweater that was 17. Or, I thought it made know, me look taller at times, too. Ah, okay. All right. Two yeah. vertical numbers. <laughs> Fair enough. I suppose that stands to reason. Go with the, the taller aspect of it, the, the way it, it can appear on you. Uh, so I got a text to check it in from the 630 saying Jim Otto wore double zero for the Raiders. So I'm, I'm wondering what this um, this prohibition from the NFL that if Jim Otto wore zero for the Raiders, let's see the Jim Otto do a quick search there. Like, has this prohibition not always been in place from the National Football League? Yep, I'm looking at the picture here. Jim Otto, you know, player who was born in the 30s, played with the Raiders in the, it looks like in the 60s. So then I'd have to check and see how how long this prohibition had been in place. I think maybe I heard earlier since the 70s. But when the, the NFL said you can go back to zero, I think I would, because of my, I'll call it my predilection for the double numbers. I, w- I would very likely be. I never saw myself as being the the sleek, cool, single-digit guy. You know, during my playing days, the, the single-digit numbers were reserved for quarterbacks and skill position guys like receivers and DBs. Didn't really even see running backs in single-digit numbers. Back in my day, it was usually more of a, a quarterback, receiver, DB situation with the single digits. So, yeah, I, I think I would go double zero if I was going to go with anything like I said you know I had all my double numbers that I used to rock with back in the day anyway and basketball was different and football was always a double number and hoops not as much I didn't concern myself with the jersey number as much in basketball I think more than anything I was usually number 50 uh if anything because of my uh I had my my rec specs my prescription goggles that I wore for a while so maybe I would have went 54 Horace Grant style at a certain point but I already had a different teammate um in high school who wore number 54 so I didn't have 54, but I think I was usually 50 in hoops. But in football, it was always a double jersey, 55, 99, 77. Now, those always looked cool to me, so that's what I always went with. I was talking when we came on the air here earlier about, about packing, how I'm getting ready to, to step out, head out of town. We're going to take a little trip. We head out this weekend. There's some teams who are on a bit of a, a journey themselves, and there's folks around town who I feel like I, I feel a kinship with some of the decision makers in town with the way that they're going about preparing for this journey that their organization is on. We get into that. We get ready to sign off here, uh, coming towards the end of my time with you. But I'll tell you exactly what I mean by that. This journey that a couple of teams around town are on that I, I do feel are my journey that I'm, that's coming up for me this weekend when I'm leaving with my family kind of relates to where I'm at in my world. I'll tell you. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Now, with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app, 
Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Tell you about that next here on The Score. We're back live with more Anthony Heron on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. 1973 was the year. It was up until 1973 the NFL didn't have any restrictions on number standardization, after which only specific designated numbers were available to each position. So since that period of time, since the 70s, the NFL up until today had no one wearing the jersey number zero. But that is no longer the case. We did have a few folks uh, checking in on the text line. We had a bit of a, a shorter show tonight, so I haven't opened up the, the phone lines at all. Just We had some things we wanted to get in here. But the text zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time. Shop online at RosenHyundai.com. And a couple of texters, as we were talking about jersey numbers, checked in uh, one from the 815, said, I wore 10 in high school, played wide receiver and defensive end. Uh, I think I was underestimated by tackles, which worked in my favor. So I, I guess, yeah, if you're a defensive end wearing number 10, I would imagine the jersey number itself wouldn't have been as good of a reason to underestimate you. Now, if you were a bit undersized or perhaps didn't have a lot of muscle tone out there, then they, those would be even better reasons for someone to underestimate you when you're trying to turn the corner coming off the edge there. 815 texter. Also have one from the 414 saying that they actually wore both number 17 and number 77. So both the 17 of Leo Stoddard, represented by the 414, and my NFL 77 represented in the 414 as well. So that, that's good. We have, we have a you know so, sort of a universal kinship there between 17 and 77. While I'm at it, slightly different topic, but from the 773, Big Ant. You're going to Hawaii. Did you ever conquer your fear of swimming? Now, I, I feel like I, I need to set the record straight on this because I, I truly am fearless when it comes to swimming. Several times it has been to my detriment because I, I've gone surfing on multiple occasions. I constantly am in water that I can't stand up in. I just haven't mastered swimming. I'm not good at it. I just, I sink like a brick. I'm a master sinker. It's just the whole floating, treading water, all those other things. The, the true skill of staying in the water. Those, those are the issues that, that I have. But I really don't fear swimming. I, I just never picked up the skill for it. And who knows? You know, I haven't given up on it. There may come a point in my life where I'm able to attain that skill. There is a, there's a health club and a pool that I go to in my neighborhood that and shout out to any of them who are listening. I know we got some some score listeners when I when I roll through there sometimes, but I have gotten to the point where I, I can actually I can swim underwater well enough because I sink so well. So all I gotta do is just kind of wiggle my arms around a little bit. I take some of those big sweeping, you know butterfly style arm movements and I do that under the water and I eventually get some forward momentum going and I've been practicing even a little bit more because you know my we got our son taking swim lessons he's getting more effective in the water as a five-year-old um you know he's still not at the point where we're just going you know toss him in the water and let him fend for himself but he is improving His, his skills are improving in that regard but I would like to truly learn to swim and get better at it at some point here this is not a skill I ever picked up. I'm, I'm confident 
I must be physically capable of it. I've had people try to teach me at different points in years past. I don't know what it is, why, aside from the fact that I just didn't learn at a young age. But it is certainly not a fear of the water or a fear of swimming. It's just a skill that I I never attained. But we're going to try it again. We get to Hawaii. Um, So, you know, I'll, I'll sign off from the station tomorrow, and let's hope it's not the last time you hear from me because I will definitely be in the ocean <laughs> while we're in Hawaii. I will probably find myself in a perilous situation, and uh, perhaps my wife will have to save me or some guide on some excursion will have to save me or something like that. It's worked out pretty well over the years up to this point. And again, you know, maybe there's some, some, some circumstances that I've put myself in that I probably shouldn't be in, but I mean, it, it's been a good time. I've, I've figured it out up to this point. I'm not at an age yet where I, I, I'm old enough where I realize I'm not invincible, but I'm not so old yet that, that I don't have confidence I can get myself out of a jam if I need to. So definitely looking forward to the trip. We always have a great time when we go. But this journey that I'm going on here, I was referencing earlier how I've, I'm in the early stages of packing. You know, I like to kind of take things in stages just because it gives me confidence on the way out the door Well, I don't sit there patting my pockets and, you know, patting my chest and, you know, opening and closing my bag over and over again when we're on the way to the airport just wondering what did I forget? What did I miss? What did I leave? I like to take this thing in stages. I'm not really a last second kind of guy. And I mentioned I don't, I don't get the impression that, that Ryan Poles, Kevin Warren with the Bears, they don't strike me as, as last second Packers. And the patience that the Bears have been in the process of displaying, getting even to this point that they're at right now, still in the very early stages of this journey that the new Bears leadership is, is taking us on, taking the, the franchise on, and you know, hoping that that journey will lead towards victories and championships and everything down the road here. But they're, they're just really still in the planning stages right now. They, they've, they've only acquired so much talent at this point. They're still evaluating a lot of what's already kind of remaining in the bag from, from the previous trip, from the previous journey that maybe a different family <laughs> led the way of. So you got, got somebody else's suitcase. It's a nice suit, suitcase. You, know, you just got to get their stuff out, put your stuff in, figure out how much of the stuff from the old, from the, the old leaders of the journey that you were kind of moving things into. So they're still very early in that process. I feel like the Cubs are in a similar space to where I'm at right now. I'm, you know, my wife, we're, we're fairly frugal people. We, we splurge a little bit here and there. But the, you know, the things, we, we really go ham when we travel and when we eat out for a nice dinner. So that's where, you know, a couple weeks in Hawaii is not cheap. This is a splurge for us, and we, we're definitely going to get it in. But that being said, we have had these excursions, these types of trips in the past where we have splurged. We, we got a, uh, I'm going to say we got a championship resume. We, we, have, we have won championships in the past with some awesome trips that we have been on. So I do feel like more of a kinship with the Cubs, where they're at, where they're in the beginning stages of this next journey that Jed Hoyer is now leading them on. But they're a little further along, you know, on their journey than where the Bears are at right now. They, the, the Cubs have begun to acquire more talent, and they've got a better past history of success. They've, they've got that World Series that's been there in the not-too-distant past, multiple division titles that have been there as well. 
went through a, a rather quick teardown to kind of reset and reshape. Now here they are, you know, bringing in all these new names and, and new figures and, and just trying to figure out. They've, they've begun to spend. They've begun to lay the groundwork. They haven't gone all in, spending all the money in the world yet. That may come the next offseason. You know, if you try to get a Shohei Otani or something like that, like a lot of the rumors that are out there, but you got enough. You got, you got a Jamison Tyon. You paid Nico Horner. You got you know, Justin Steele, who you know, some of it is homegrown talent. Some of it is individuals you've gone out and gotten from elsewhere just to try to set yourself up for this next phase of your journey here. And it feels like the Cubs have set themselves up in good shape. And the best part of where they're at right now going into this season is that they've done enough to instill confidence in the fan base to even more than confidence to instill hope in the fan base, a fan base that last season felt a lot more hopeless, you know, going into last year than what they had right now. Now you brought in even more talent, acquired some more names, and I don't think the expectations are going to be so high from the Cubs that when they do hit the skids a little bit, hit a rough patch or two, that people are going to be, you know, completely just getting out on on this journey that the Cubs are starting to take them on again. So that that's who, you know, for me as we're getting ready to head out of here for a couple of weeks this weekend, get away, enjoy ourselves and then come back and get right back into things, be pretty busy when we return here in the in the middle of April. I feel like the Cubs are are probably a a prime example, a fitting example of where my wife and I have kind of been at, where you've done some big things in the past, feel good about where that's at, and are now just beginning to start to piece things together, to pack these bags, to get this this travel mode together for this next journey that you're going to lead folks on. So I'm looking forward to going on this journey with them. We've got a few different teams in town right here that are in a similar spot, and now that the baseball season is upon us, we're going to get to watch that on opening day to really see how this next phase of the journey plays out for the Cubs. And, of course, later on in April, the NFL draft is going to be upon us. We'll cover all that closely as it relates to the Bears as well. As always, outstanding guests here on the show. My thanks to Leo Stoddard for setting everything up with Lamont Pope and with the great Richard Deitch, getting all that information, all the facts and figures on the White Sox and on the sports media landscape. Really enjoyed that with both of them. Really enjoyed my time here this evening with all of you listening in. I'm Anthony Heron on Twitter and Instagram at Big Ant Heron. Got Betty MGM tonight coming up next on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.